Welcome to The Corner, La Source's digital show dedicated to the sport and entertainment industry. Every two weeks, we invite a professional to share their experience, background, and challenges. The sport industry moves fast, and having their insights is the best way to keep up to speed. Welcome to The Corner. Welcome to another episode of Le Corner. Today, I'm delighted to receive Thomas Lomas. Thomas is a global leader in sports technology, and among many other things, he's the host of the Global Sports Technology Podcast and leader of the Sports Tech World Series. With him, we've been through his journey in the sport industry and his entrepreneurial experience. We've also taken a look back at 2021 and look ahead for 2022 with a shared article that we co-wrote for Sports Pro Media. And so we've been talking about the trends around NFTs and metaverse that will be shaping the sports industry in 2022. I hope you will learn something new and have a deeper insight into future trends he outlines. Enjoy the show. Thomas, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Great to be on the show. Yeah, maybe maybe there are plenty of Thomas in this world, so I will be a bit more explicit. It is Thomas Alomas from uh, Sports Tech World Series, but I guess you are very famous in, in the sports world, so I'm sure most of the people in our podcasts knows you from from a bit everywhere, maybe Sports Pro or or the podcast that you run and all the different activities that you have with startups. Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I was I was having a catch up with Roger Mitchell, who's probably in the similar space to me. He runs a pod- podcast as well. I obviously host Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. He's on Are You Not Entertained? And he referred to us as sports influencers, sports tech influencers. So we're not on Instagram half naked, but um, we are <laughs> we are trying to, I guess, put our learnings out there, talk to interesting people. Um, and yeah, I'd probably just say, just learn as much as possible. So it's great to be on this, share some of the things that I've learned along the way, um, and hopefully learn something more as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, no need to be half naked. It's better. It's better with your with your expertise. And actually, I was I was also on a call with Roger uh, and told him that I listened to one of his podcasts recently around the metaverse and everything, and many of what he was referring to is clearly linked. To what we've been sharing as well on the source, so it's quite it's quite funny. But we'll be talking about this, I'm sure, during this podcast. But um, and I think we were all part of the same sports pro article. And when I read it, uh, I didn't know you were you were part of the answers or Roger or the other ones. And quite quite yeah, quite surprising how not similar, but how we we share. Uh, views and insights on, on the sports industry but before we deep dive in that is like every time I, I like to have a, a bit of an intro on on the invitee and to know a bit better but it's also like sports is is above all um, a source of emotion and and so I'd like to ask why why sports uh, and why why did you come to sports is it that you were fanatic like young age around sports or nearly professional or do you have specific memories around sports at a young age or uh i mean yeah lots of lots of memories around it i would say kind of two different answers to that one in terms of my personal relationship with sports is um it's always been part of my life in, in some way i would say 
uh, more, later in life, it's been much more about following it. Earlier, it was much more about um, participating, which I think is a, is a common um, thread for a lot of people. Uh, my earliest memory of sports would be probably not a specific place or a person or a, a thing, but it would be just the, the smells and sounds of um, training. So early morning in a pool back in Australia, the smell of chlorine, the sound of kind of splashing as the sun's coming up. Um, I'd say doing athletics when I was younger, the smell of cut grass, you know, hearing things. <laughs> it's, it's kind of those... Uh, very quintessential, kind of iconic, um, but very emotive responses around that. And then obviously, um, as I've grown older, it's more around actually attending events and, and things like that. So, But how I came to it professionally was um, uh, not a very clear path. I, I uh, studied at university. My formal studies were in behavioral studies and social psychology. Um, so I studied, my honours thesis was on lone wolf terrorism uh, and then followed that up with a law degree mm-hmm. uh, and very much thought I was going down the path of law, national security, things like that. Um, uh, interned in Washington, D.C. with the House Judiciary Chairman and that was the area that I was focusing on, writing policy um, and legal reports. Uh, and then... Through all those experiences, realized none of that was for me. It was it was very interesting, but not something I was going to leap out of bed every day and be a lawyer or yeah, be a no lawyer. passion. You were no, no for uh, yeah, I wasn't going to do it for the next sixty years until I I dropped dead. So was looking for something else. Uh, ended up kind of through some people I studied law with um, connections into the startup world, um, and then started with Sports Tech World mm-hmm. Series when it was. Uh, it's been through about two different name changes, but when it was a kind of previous business and what it was doing was working within um, data-driven industries to mm-hmm. work on training and educating and celebrating people in those areas. So we ran competitions, um, conferences, things like that uh, around that. So we ran global global competitions in financial modeling, data analytics. Um, through that, I found... Yeah, so it's, it's through the startup world. We started with a little bit and then events and, and then events. stuff and, yeah, things in, in Internet of Things and found an inter, Internet of Things event. Um, and this is, you know, six years ago. So this is when a lot of this is still coming to the fore. Um, and long story long, uh, through all of those areas, it was running into data analytics, it was running into IoT. Uh, it was all these cool emerging industries that then had the best applications in sports. And so every single time we came across something in sports, that's what really struck a nerve. So kind of learning by doing about this industry. So then about six years ago, we just pivoted completely to to sports technology. So um, sold off the IoT business, sold off all the other parts of the business and just went sports tech is this incredible emerging industry and we want to learn more about it and we want to be involved and we think it's got a huge future. Um, okay, and then that's where it's so been. It was both like kind of you, you could smell or you you had the vision in terms of this is where sports is heading, or actually that where technology is having a, a massive impact on sports, and where like the growth of sports will be higher into the sports tech rather than the other sectors. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's it's technology innovation that's revolutionising every level of our lives and that's something that we'll talk about later with the metaverse, NFTs, you know, Web, web 3.0. Um, 
and sports is just part of that. But sports is also a incredible test bed for innovation. It's where um, you know lots of our parts of our lives are lived through. Um, mm-hmm. So that was one of those things. It was well, there's IoT devices that are connected devices that are used for agriculture and and you know farming and things like that. Yeah. That's interesting, and that's got to going to have a huge economic impact. But I'm more interested in about how can you attach a device to an athlete um, to improve their physical performance. What can you do there? And you know, and the next evolution is now a few years later, we're looking at optical tracking. So how do you do that with, that, with cameras? So um, yeah, sports is as a unique microcosm, and obviously everything on the fan engagement side, um, the kind of brand loyalty, if you'll put it, that fans have to mm. their respective organisations. Um, is unlike any other sector in the world. It's it's unique because of the community uh, of the community led, or why why so unique? Is it because of the passion, the emotions, and so the millions of of fans that are giving up for free their time, their commitments, everything they have, or is there is there anything else in terms of why why so unique? I mean, ah. Uh... I'll answer that in the sense of, so sports rights deals, for instance, so media rights deals. So Mm -hmm. the NFL just signed a relatively recently $110 billion, I think it was, um, for their live broadcast rights. So if you look at TV, as in linear TV, so we're not talking OTT, just regular old TV, sit on the couch, turn it on, there's your your channels Mm -hmm. on what that is. Viewership for that has been declining as viewership for OTT and streaming platforms has been increasing, but also just as people have been finding other interests, whether that's gaming, that's going on the internet. Yeah. Uh, that, the amount of money that they paid for those rights reflects the role that sports has in our lives in the sense of it is live, it's unpredictable, it has this passion and connection. Um, you can't really replicate it in other areas necessarily. There's just something about it, just that X factor um, that, yeah, mm. brings all these, all these parts again. And that's just on the, the spectator side. And then you think about the participation side and you think about what that means for, for people to move their bodies, for health, uh, both mental and physical. And mm. there's, a, there's a whole part of that. So I don't buy into as much of the idea of, you know, the Olympic ideals of sports brings people together and then everything's harmonious and stuff. We've seen things with sports watching <laughs> with, with that maybe not living up to where it is. But I do think that it is something incredibly unique and incredibly human about the passion we feel yeah. for sports. And that's that crosses boundaries because someone's hamstring, you know, in, if they're playing football and they strain a hamstring, uh, funnily enough, a hamstring is built the same in um, in Indonesia as it is in Lithuania. You know, we're all people in terms of yeah. the human body is the same. Um, so there's that kind of idea that it, it's unique. And in the same as way that passionate fandom, like if you have two two countries competing against each other in a sport, fans on both sides screaming, screaming different languages, different kind of cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, whatever else it is, that feeling and that connection they have is the same. Mm, okay. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, from what you just said, and I, and I will take a step back, but let me start from the beginning. So you said swimming and athletic. Does it mean that now you are a triathlon or that when you were young, you, you mentioned the, the swimming pool and, and, and the running? 
Yeah. So actually, when I was younger, I did I did little athletics in Australia, and I hated every minute of it. Um, I did swimming. <laughs> I loved that. Um, and then, yeah, some somehow later in life, I've come back to um, that. I, I do uh, ultra endurance events, so Ironmans and uh, marathon swimming. So in 2019, I swam okay. the English Channel, uh, which is uh, wow. Yeah, it was a bit of fun. I would say um, I think you're in Paris. I think that next time I was living in London at the time and I've got the TGV, I've got the train before. So I would recommend anyone looking to get from London to Paris, um, <laughs> probably get the train. Um, you can even get cheap flights. But, yeah, swimming is probably one of the harder ways to do it. Yeah, okay. Um, so now going back to uh, like the pivoting moments where you you moved uh to more on the sports tech and and the entrepreneur and the startup side of things uh one of the questions because you're also a startup mentor and you you've seen a lot of i guess tech teams um what i know there is not one recipe and for every startup there is potentially a different answers or a different vision but what are more as the key ingredients for a recipe for the startups uh, to be managed successfully, according to you? So there's the internal and the external. Internal is how you run your business and your team. Yeah, I would say internally more like for entrepreneurs out there, like C-levels having their own startups, what what would be the best advices that you can give them to, to run their, yeah, to run their business? Like uh, well, I mean... Internally, it would be look at how you run your team. Understand that you are uh, to be able to grow, you're going to need to hire. That is one of the most important things. Um, so I think this cliche of the obsessive, abusive um, manager doesn't doesn't fly. The whole uh, I'm well, Steve Jobs is a creative genius, and that entitles you to um, be a bit of an awful person to work for or work with. Um, there's not really any sustainability in that. Um, so that's, I would say, a little bit of a myth. Uh, so, yeah, look after your team. Look after yourself as well in terms of your health, your mental health, stress loads, things like that, sleep. That's all fundamentals. Um, and then look at externally, it's product market fit. It's one of the biggest things is, is are you, do you have a technology solution looking for a problem or is there a problem that you're clearly solving? So that's something, mm. especially within sports tech, um, you need to make sure that you're actually solving problems out there. So that's that's really just about getting out there and listening to your customers. Um, and the other thing is don't give it away for free. That is probably one of the biggest pitfalls I see from startups. I think I'll just sign a, I'll just sign a big, a big you know, major soccer club or an NFL club and I'll give it to them for free. And then once I've got that logo on my website, I'll be able to get 10 others. Say, if they don't value it enough to pay for it, they're not going to value it enough to promote it, to, to actually use it to its full extent. Even if it's something like, uh, I know, a, a human performance uh, company that do human performance measurements and tracking, and they'll give away free samples, but they'll charge postage. So they'll say, mm-hmm. so they'll say yes, we'll give you a free sample. You can have a go at it. But, I mean, it's a big unit. It's going to be $250 worth of shipping. You have to raise an invoice for that. You have to do all these steps. If they're not committed to even pay what is relatively a minor amount, 
for that, that's a pretty good indication that they don't want to become a customer. So I, I really like that. Yeah. So although at the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey, it's it's very easy to think, oh, well, I'll just give it away for free and, I, and I'm stressed about getting customers and getting traction, um, you really, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure if you attempt to do that. To be honest with you, like when you were mentioning the market fit, I was about to ask you around the, the proof of concept and I would say the trends also in startups to to chase logos and tractions while while not being paid. And actually we we had an article on proof of concepts and what it is and why it should be paid. And actually we, we had also a session with um with with Ignition and Samuel, uh, the CEO of La Source was also explaining to, to the startup people like make sure there is a price on your product or your service because otherwise, I mean, you are, you're killing yourself. You're also killing your business. Uh, mm. And I really like this idea, but I think it's becoming more and more heard and uh, relevant uh, than it used to be maybe like even two or three years ago in terms of like, make sure you get paid even at proof of concept stage, if you want, mm. uh, because that's something you are providing a service. And if, like you said, big clients or even like tier two, tier three organization are not willing to pay anything for this, it's it means it's not the right path, I guess, or that the market fit is not there anyway. Yeah. So you, you need to find the uh, the other way around um, to make sure that works. Um, all right, cool. Um, maybe not on the mindset or anything, but there is also something uh, I wanted to ask you about is the uh, Sports Innovation Texas. Uh, is it something related to, uh, I guess it's not related at all to your Sports Tech World Series, but I guess now you're based in Texas and I was wondering what it is. Uh, how, can you tell us a bit more on, on what that is and how does this like compare or is it different to uh, Sports Tech World Series? Yeah, so Sports Tech World Series, as I described, is the day job. So that's a mm -hmm. global sports technology uh, research advisory consulting um, platform underpinned by content media that basically kind of cycles into that. So our bread and butter is is uh, helping sports tech vendors, governments, uh, investment funds and sports organisations separate you know, what's meaningful, impactful in sports technology and what's just hype. So okay. that's the way that we we are is at the core of our business, and then what supports that is an ecosystem of uh, yeah content, events, things like that. So uh, we run a big Australian Sports Innovation uh, Week, uh, which is supported by the Queensland Government, obviously in the lead up mm -hmm. to the uh, twenty thirty two Olympics. Um, Pre COVID, we used to run some more events around the world. We've really pivoted to virtual for a lot of those, and Australia is the only one that we we run there at the moment. Uh, and then obviously I host the podcast as well, which is a great uh, opportunity to learn. And those learnings are, are things that I then feed into our consulting clients. So saying so-and-so from this organization, this is what keeps them up at night. This is the problems they're having. How can we then um, help with solutions? Mm -hmm. So that's the day job. And then uh, Sports Innovation Texas came about because I moved to Austin, Texas, uh, the state capital here a few years ago. I had the good fortune of marrying a Texan. So I'm, I'm kind of good. <laughs> um, so yeah, Austin is Austin's a great city, and it's it's interesting coming from Australia. I, used to, I was in Melbourne, Australia, then I moved to London in the UK to lead our business there. 
um, coming from those two places, which are really big sports ecosystems, but very well connected. So Australia mm-hmm. obviously has the, the Grand Prix, the Australian Open Tennis, and a whole bunch of other sporting events, AFL Grand Final, um, but a very engaged and committed community. London is, is similar. Um, there's, there's a whole network of, of things that are happening in that space. I came to Austin um, and there wasn't really a unified, I guess, organisational community that existed. There was a lot of really interesting, cool stuff happening. Uh, people don't think of Austin as a sports city because it didn't until uh, last year. It didn't have a major league team. It's now got Austin FC and the MLS. It's got uh, University of Texas at, at Austin, the Longhorns. For people not familiar with the college system, uh, they're the uh, biggest revenue-generating um, collegiate uh, athletics system. Oh, wow. So All they right. would be, I'm trying to think the scale, probably I think they did pre-COVID, they were doing probably about six, $700 million in revenue. Um, so during football season, they have a stadium that seats 110,000 people and they'll mm-hmm. sell that out pretty much every week. Um, they're currently building a $326 million basketball um, stadium. So when you think college, it is... The scale is crazy. It, yeah. The scale is, is immense. And, and so you, you have that organ- and they are across. And that also means, obviously, football and basketball. That also means all the Olympic sports, um, you know, swimming, diving, gymnastics, you know, mm. you know, baseball team as well. They've got... So all these other sports that sit around that rowing, whatever you can think of. So it's a whole ecosystem that sits there. Um, and then you have minor league teams, you have... Uh, obviously the Formula One here at CODA, Circuit of the Americas. So you've got all this stuff happening. And then going... And I guess you have too much of your time, right? You had too much of your time or you were not sleeping enough. And so you said, like, what can I do? (laughs) Yeah, I've got, you know, yeah, yeah. Three kids and and a job and everything else. You know, I've got a lot of time on my hands. What should I do? Uh, But I said, outside of coming in, I think there's a real opportunity to... Uh, champion this ecosystem and organize it, basically herd the cats there. So Sports Innovation mm-hmm. Texas is a not-for-profit. It's the Austin and Central Texas um, Industry Association, so representing members and people in the community uh, and then working within the entire Texas Triangle ecosystem. So for those that don't know Texas, um, you might have just heard cowboys, big hats, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually incredibly vibrant modern economy, Um if it's as a state, if its GDP was listed alongside nations, I, it's in the top ten in the world. I think it's just above Italy in terms of the actual GDP. Really? It's, yeah, it's got about twenty-eight million people within the Texas Triangle, which is the main cities of yeah. Dallas in the north, Dallas-Fort Worth, um, down to the east of Houston, across to Austin, then down to San Antonio. You've yeah, got okay. uh, some of the world's most valuable sports franchises, obviously Dallas Cowboys. And from Austin, everything is a three-hour drive. So three hours to Dallas, it's about two and a bit hours to Houston and about an hour to San Antonio. So for people that don't know, you have this very well-connected ecosystem of sports, of tech, obviously Austin, Oracle moving in, Elon Musk and, and all his associated businesses moved here. We've got South by Southwest coming up next month, big yeah. conference. Um so there's a lot going on. So yeah, that was just something that I thought um, there's a great there's a great opportunity here to grow this. And also selfishly, I'm in Austin for the next little bit, so um, I want to bring the world to me, so I don't have to get on a plane as much. 
Yeah, that's not being selfish. Actually, now I have a better understanding as well because one of the one of our first invitees, Kyle Bunch, that that was on the Global Sports Venture Studio, is also starting a new entrepreneur journey and actually moved back to Texas and close to Dallas. So now I understand why as well in terms of like the whole ecosystem around it, especially for sports tech. So, so yeah, yeah so definitely need to hour. come by. Yeah, yeah, Carl's on our advisory board for Sports Innovation Texas. So formerly, all right, formerly kind of at RGA and the um the Global Sports yeah. Venture Studio. So he's same thing. So you get people cropping up that you kind of look under rocks, and you have all these people that are that are here. Um, yeah, so it's it's a great it's a great ecosystem. It's also just a great place to live. So I would say if you are looking at expanding to the US, it doesn't have to be. Silicon Valley, I don't New think. New York or Silicon Valley. Yeah, or New York. I mean, expensive, difficult places to live. Um, Austin's in the center of the country. So if you do need to get to either of those, jump on a plane and you can go coast to coast. But the final the final point is also very low business tax and 0% state income tax. Um, so you can also understand why someone like an Elon mm. Musk uh, would want to come here. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite attractive, I guess. <laughs> quite attractive. Uh, I will make sure to come back to uh, South by Southwest. That was a great event. Um, not this year yet, but hopefully with the pandemic behind us at some point, I will definitely need to come back. Um, uh, I was at, I was inviting you on the podcast because I wanted you to to share some insights, given like the article we shared on Sports Pro, like we said, and also knowing you a bit as an influencer, not half naked, but almost half naked. Um, I wanted maybe to share with some thoughts <laughs> on the industry. And I wanted first to have a look back at last year, like 2021, and and potentially one of the big things that hit the, the sports world with back in early 2021, the NFTs, like no one knew about this world before. And all of a sudden with Dapper Labs and everything that the pandemic has given us constraint to, to the sports organizations that, that came in. And so... I wanted to have your your opinion around like should sports develop actionable NFTs and how they should do it and what why NFTs matter and how we should approach it if if we are a right holder or even an entrepreneur. Well, I think the short answer is is yes, they they should. With the caveat that it depends on the needs of your sports organization. I think we we fall into trouble when we start to group sports all together as this amorphous blob in terms of, of rights holders and sports properties in the same way we get into trouble when we group NFTs, crypto, fan tokens, yeah. Web 3.0 in general. I mean, there's there's a lot of nuances there. So for, for larger sporting organizations, if an NFT is a way that you can further engage and connect with your fans, with the added benefit of monetization, then then go for it. I think that's something that's there. If you are a smaller, smaller, much smaller um, rights holder, um, I think it needs to be. I would say don't rush into it. I think it needs to be better thought out. Not to say that big organisations are rushing into it, but at the end of the day, mm. it needs to be part of a broader strategy. It can't be seen as something that sits off to the side. So the example that I use is. Um, uh, Speaking with Dr. Julian Tan, who's formerly the um, head of digital initiatives and esports at Formula One, and he talked about mm-hmm. esports in Formula One. 
it wasn't just something that they kind of tapped on. Um, it was actually part of a broader strategy of how do we engage our fans. Um, the fans, yeah. And I think NFTs as, as an emerging technology, as the kind of hottest buzzword that's happening here, it's going, well, how does it fit into your broader fan engagement strategy? So where does that, where does that sit? Um, and if you're not doing things in collectibles or digital collectibles to begin with, then just rushing into NFTs and minting a whole bunch of NFTs in this space when you don't really know if you've got demand um, can can be really quite a dangerous proposition. Um, mm. My personal preference is for actionable N- NFTs. I think the example, um, so that rather than just it being a digital collectible, essentially a bit of art, there is something that yep. is linked to that, other benefits. Um, with a physical with a physical reward or something um, not I mean, necessarily it, yeah it, it can be it can be if that makes sense I think um, I think again it's it's a bit of a obfuscating answer but if it, if it actually makes sense or, or a small part of it I mean the Australian open with their their nfts that they did um, at the recent AO uh, they mm-hmm had one element that was physical, basically the, if a championship. So that what they did is, for anyone that doesn't know, they split up the court into little 10 by 10 squares of the court and then if a match-winning uh, point landed on that, your little section, on that, um, on that area that your NFT is linked to, then you would get kind of stats and that would be updated and reflected in that NFT. And that they were these, uh, these tennis balls that were made from... Um, the colors were chosen by an algorithm. So kind of a really cool digital initiative. And then the, the championship winning point, if that landed there, you would actually get a physical tennis ball basically replicating whatever your NFT was in a display case. So saying that not everyone who got these NFTs would get that physical one, it was just this is an extra special thing. Um, so I think yep. for, for sports franchises, teams, whatever else that is, Look at it in the same way that you would give uh, benefits to to your members or to your most loyal fans, and go: Is there a digital equivalent that I can do? And does that change if if a fan can't get to a stadium? I mean, this is something that we talked about last year. JB was if I've got fans in in Singapore and they're never going to make it to, I don't know, see Paris Saint Germain in person, mm-hmm. how can I still give them some sort of benefit that? Is digital in addition to maybe you know actual merch and things like that? Is is there something that I can add on as a layer to this? And NFTs mm. um, offer that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And actually, the the AO example is is a perfect execution, and I and I really like also the RT part of this. Where I honestly, I mean, I've been watching different NFT use cases in sports, but beyond as well with music or other forms of entertainment. But that one was very much arty, which which gives also a new flavor to it and potentially attract, like you said, long-term plan is actually to engage with the audience, reward them as part of your loyalty program, if you want. And yeah, I I really like this, this recent uh, example. Um, I was just thinking while you were mentioning it, it's uh, a lot of people also are, are speaking with NFTs around not just money laundering, but also like all the troubles or problems like the fraud. And we've seen the recent example of Barcelona or even Man City is like, is it, 
I don't know, is it something that with your clients or how do you navigate this? Because every time there is a new technology, it's, it's, there are pitfalls. It's not easy. There is also the environmental issues around the minting, uh, and the resources and the energy it requires. Uh, how do you address all of this in terms of like, you need to have a plan. You need to have a long-term strategy. It might not be perfect today, but still have a look. Start with building the first blocks. How, how does it look like? What's, what would be the main recommendations you would have even for, uh, like you said, a tier two or tier three organization? Treat it like any other supplier or partner. I think um, in the same way that you would do due diligence on whoever's providing, say, mm-hmm. the stadium, you know, who's doing the food and beverage service. I mean, you look into their capabilities, you look into can they say what they're going to do, is there references. But that's that's a very basic example of something that's very you know, old school, if you want to put it. It's not really tech enabled, but treat it the same way for new tech. I think if if you don't understand it, um, don't move forward with it. And if they can't explain the vendor that the kind of that's selling to you can't explain um, in very understandable, concrete terms what the value is that you're getting and what they're providing, um, then they probably don't know it themselves or if they do then they probably can't do it so that's one of those things that i think sports need to kind of understand the fomo of missing out on the you know fear of missing out on the next wave of technology but realize that this this stuff is 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 not it's not a flash in the pan it's sticking around for a long time so Mm. think about web 3.0 and you think about crypto and everything else is See it as a as a platform shift. This is a mindset shift. This isn't just a new class of whatever, some sort of sponsorship deal or a new class of something that's existing. This is the whole platform and I guess view of the world and how we operate and interact with it, each other is shifting. So if you go to the example when 1.0, um, if someone was coming in and selling your website and saying, hey, I've got this new thing that's called the internet, you should get a website for your for your football club and you turn around and go, well, I don't need that. Okay, well, whatever, I'll just I'll chuck one up and it's it's useless, it's not functional or it's it's a gimmick and you think then I'm going to build everything else that a modern website does in kind of web 2.0 where we are now. Okay. Yeah. So everything, that, that kind of touch point for your club, your ticketing, your, your, your registration, your, your content, everything else. And you say, if you had your time again... Would you have just whacked on something just to say that you have a website, or would you, would you have looked at building building something? There's a platform to take you forward into that. So that's that's why I'm saying that these this whole area needs to be looked at as holistic and a, and a platform change and a mentality change. But you need to drill down into each one and go, well, what's right for me? So that's okay. that's where the, the nuance yeah, yeah. into. So rather than just saying, oh, NFTs, crypto tokens, uh, fan tokens, all that kind of stuff, we're just going to do something and all this stuff. Go, what's the need? How do we do it? How do we find suppliers or vendors that we trust? Um, and if they're promising something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, to a certain extent, what you've just described is like, if you take the holistic approach, is like NFT is just one part of the metaverse or the the second big trends we've seen in 2021. So this new 
uh, version of this new generation of the internet where we would have a 3D spatial computing also added to what we see as a web 1.2 uh, version of the internet. But NFT just adds on the ownership. So the idea that you have like a digital right management of, of, yeah, of any assets that you have. And so, okay, NFTs are here to stay just like the metaverse. And if we take it more broadly is where I want you to, to come in with all of that is like NFT was beginning of 2021. And then because of Zuckerberg and everything that came in, all of a sudden, again, we had this huge platch around the metaverse and all the buzz around meta and what it means for the industry. And so for me, NFTs are a part of this Web3 uh, new proposition and kind of this new force industrial revolution, if you can say like that. But for sports organizations, so a team, a league, I mean, a franchise, whomever, uh, what how can you help them navigate or what would be for you the, the right approach to leverage uh, the metaverse? I mean, we know they need a presence within the metaverse. Like it will sound very much stupid if you don't have a website today, just like what you explained. Uh, but how, what, what would be the approach? How would you, why the metaverse matters and what would be the approach more or less? Yeah, so as I said, it's it's shifting your thinking to understanding how people will interact with you and how they will live their lives just generally and, and sports is one element of that. So I think it's kind of taking mm-hmm. the blinkers off of going, well, how is it with sports? It's going, well, how is it with um, how people just interact generally? And you can use the example of um, shifts to, shifts to um, card rather than cash. That was not driven by sports. That's something that impacted sports and how people wanted things. And mobile ticketing, not driven by sports, something that people were just used to doing everything on their phones and that's how they lived their lives and that's how they interacted. So sports had to respond to be able to keep pace with that. So I'd say it's looking so it's at, the same here. It's the same so for you. It's kind of the behaviours. Yeah, yeah, okay. Through through these through the metaverse, through the, the, the digital, right, that, that virtual... Um, self essentially. So, how do you how do you how do you leverage that? Is just first of all taking a step back and going, you know, sports doesn't have all the answers to this, and you look at where it's successful. So, I'd say that's why the, these game companies and obviously the recent uh, Microsoft or proposed Microsoft acquisition um, of Activision. Activision. That's that's something that is just huge, and the valuations around that are immense. Is because they are probably the closest we have at the moment to realizing the metaverse or realizing the metaverses, multiple mm-hmm. versions of. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say that it doesn't have to be a big dive in. You can kind of, you can, you can change your thinking, but then you can dip your toe in the water with some activations in, in places like that, whether it's like with Fortnite or something else like that. that that's something that yeah. it's kind of a, uh, yeah, it's hurry up and wait. Essentially, it's 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 understand your strategy for this. Understand how you can make meaningful impacts and signal to your fans that you are heading that way, but then not realizing that you have to completely digitize or create virtual everything. Every, everything. It's mm. it's uh, 
I love this quote by, um, I think it's, it's attributed to Stephen Fry. I don't know if it's actually from him, but he was talking about uh, e-readers and saying that uh, an e-reader, so a Kindle or something else like that, a digital book, um, is no more a risk to the existence of books than escalators are to staircases. You know, we have we have this shift and this update mm-hmm. in technology, but that doesn't mean everything today needs to be shifted over to this. It just means that there is a huge change coming and you need to get prepared. So I would say work with existing partners that have wins on the board. So that's something that the AO example we said, they had a series of partners that backed that. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember, but mm-hmm. I think there was about four or five different partners they worked at for that, that, um, okay. that activation. So it's things like that. It's going, all right, how are we going to put this through and having a roadmap for what it is. So that's something that, yeah, Dapper Labs, obviously, with everything they're doing with NFTs, Top Shot, uh, Top Shot. I keep saying Top Shot. Top Shot. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was interviewing uh, Jane Perasini, who's a VP of growth at Dapper Labs uh, All right. for the podcast, yeah. and I think I said Top Shot more than I said Top Shot. It's really confusing. You get a, you get an, well, I guess, but that's where it's going as well. It was nice Terrible. to you. It didn't say anything. It was yeah. nice to you. It didn't say anything. NFT, NFT, um, NFT, and uh, wearables for for shirts. I think that's. I mean, that's that is also where it's going. So you know, not far yeah. off. But um, no, proven partners like that. I would say work around that, and then also yeah. um, probably either either externally. Or look within your internal capabilities and have someone who's responsible for this as a new specific role around strategy mm. for this. So it's not something where you just kind of push it off to a sponsorship person and say, how can we kind of squeeze a yeah. few more dollars out of this? You go, all right, who is actually responsible in our organization? For- to internalize a bit the knowledge and also yeah. like leverage the different partners and departments that you can bring on for for these kind of new activations. Yeah, definitely. And that's and yeah. for, you know small organizations that might be going to an external consulting service and that might be something that you go out to. Um, but it needs to be thought of as a new future that someone needs to be preparing strategy for because it's still in its early stages. So it's not at the point that you can say there is a winner. Or there is a platform, or you should you definitely yeah, yeah. do this. You should be on. You know, we're not in a MySpace versus Facebook kind of thing, um, or you know, CDs versus tapes. There is there's a thing where it's going. This is coming. This is growing. It is not mature enough that we have the key providers that are going to work with this. Um, or multiple providers. That's the other thing about this being decentralized. And that's the goal. It is to be decentralized. So ultimately, and actually, just like you said, I mean, the the game engine, which is the uh, construction tool, if you want, of this metaverse is is clearly something, I think, above the weight of many of the sports organizations. None, None of them can really pretend to do that. And actually, that's why it's only Microsoft or big tech companies that can actually do this. So, yeah, I like the approach of leveraging and understanding where to have the quick wins or trying to, to navigate this world through the partners that you have. I really like it. Um, just if, if I'm looking a bit ahead, like this was, I think, the buzzwords like NFTs and metaverse. But if I'm more looking like 
the exercise that sports pro asked you to do in terms of like trends to watch in, in 2022. Uh, one of them was around the DAOs, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. Can you, can you briefly tell us what you think of it? Uh, how do you see it in the future? How this can impact sports organizations or not? What could be the benefit? Uh, yeah, I would like to have your take a bit on, on DAOs. So DAOs, as said, acronym, essentially what it is, just for the, the people that don't know, is um, a new blockchain-enabled way of running an organization. And whether that is a charity, whether that's a sporting organization, whether that's a, a company, uh, it's all about member representation. So people will buy in to mm-hmm. the DAO there'll be a series of, of rules that are written up. So comparing it to, a say, a corporation where you have a shareholder agreement, people buy shares in the company, that gives them certain rights to vote on things um, and, you know, away you go. Whereas this is on the blockchain, so you have smart contracts. So you write up those rules and then once those rules are met, it automatically results in, in actions. So the very kind of... I guess uh, lofty ambition for it is a completely flat structure where everyone has a right, everyone buys in, everyone gets this one vote um, for whatever unit they own of, of the DAO and then they can pool their resources, kind of like crowdfunding essentially, and then go out and control or buy another asset or invest or whatever else it is. Um, that's where the lofty ambi- ambition is. What it actually looks like in reality is probably more along the lines of, as I said, kind of a, a modern corporation with, sh- with shareholder agreements, which are the rules, mm-hmm. and you have different voting classes. You have different people will have different rights based on ha- either when they buy in or how much they buy in, where they buy in, all that kind of stuff, um, which has huge capabilities for sports organisations. So. One of the things is talked about a lot is the valuation of sports is through the roof. There's only so many billions yeah. on the planet. How do you actually look for people that can purchase these sports clubs? And what's being promoted is the idea that you have a DAO, you get everyday fans, pull their resources, then acquire either a majority or a minority stake in a sports organisation and then can vote on anything and everything into, in, in how that club is run. Uh, yeah. that's that's the theory at least and I think we're going to see some examples of that for my two cents yeah. I think that sounds like absolute chaos um, yeah is it realistic from, it, from like I, I wanted to ask like is no, it really no. realistic it's not it's not realistic for the efficient running of an organization regardless of what it is I think that uh, that idea of that one-to-one democracy is a, is a really nice ideal um, but in terms of actually running an organization, that doesn't make sense. So what I think we are going to see when this all shakes out, and, and again, it's one of those things that is here to say. It's not it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a, a trend or a fad. It is something mm-hmm. that's enabled by blockchain where you can have that, that ownership and that incredible control yeah. and it's verified to you. You are 100%, that is yours, and everything's automated in that. So as the smart contracts, so that's where I think it's really powerful. If you think about a membership group, either owning a minority or majority, probably a minority stake, and then what gives them power is the ability to then 
leverage it like shareholders do. You can help vote for the board of directors. You can help vote for whatever um, the approvals are. If there's a hiring of a new coach or major decisions like that or a hiring of a new, signing of a new player, everyone can have their vote on that and, and you have that kind of influence in that way. In terms of voting on who's starting at what position, what color <laughs> is scouting? Is the, yeah, yeah, who's scouting? Who all that kind of stuff? That doesn't make sense. Um, and I think mm. anyone who's a sports fan, myself included, well, diehard fan of the uh, West Coast Eagles and the Australian Football League. Um, our coach Adam Simpson, Adam Simpson is a incredible coach with decades of experience in football. I may have opinions, and I may have opinions that I share quite loudly at the pub on the weekend, especially after we've lost. <laughs> I don't think I should be running the football club, and I don't think yeah, yeah. masses of people either. And we see that in you know public votes, um, democracy, and elections aside. You see things like uh, the vote for naming new. Um, I think it was naming a new boat, um, and everyone online jumped on and said it should be called Boaty McBoatface. And so you had this new research festival, I think it was in the UK, that ended up being called Boaty McBoatface um, because <laughs> everyone decided to vote for that. So obviously with, with DAOs yeah. and, and the way that it's, it's linked, you need to verify people and there's, there's things that you can put into that smart contract where you can kind of block out trolls. But it really does have a power to reward loyalty in the sense of if you've been a, a member of the club for 20 years and you get you know, your share of this DAO, you can come in at a higher voting level or have more rights or vote on a broader range of things than other people that, you know, are maybe newer fans. So it's kind of rewarding that loyalty again. That's that's what I'm saying is, is that sports hasn't essentially changed in terms of our relationship to sports. People are still passionate about sports. It's just the medium through which we do that and what's open for that. So I think there's huge potential there for yeah. rewarding things. Yeah. Um, and it just needs to be tempered with what's actually practical in the sense of governance. Yeah, I guess to a certain extent that's not really realistic. But, yeah, I hear you and I kind of share the the view and your your opinion, I think. For me, DAOs also will have a massive impact in terms of investment vehicle, especially on how private equity comes in now into sports and everything. And I think having a slice for every person that can come together as well, I think that will have a major impact. But one thing I wanted to to come back on, on, on your piece again, it's like you mentioned something around passive, uh, passive data collection in sports performance, which is one of the most... Uh, overhype sports technology trends, uh, if I remember well. Um, can you can you explain that better uh, in terms of like, is it without real recommendations that the data come in uh, with, without like real insights to the users or is it around the technology? I mean, passive data collections as one of the most overhyped sports technology trends. I'm, I'm interested and in, intrigued as well. So that... That's coming from essentially a whole bunch of different views, but but summed up very well in a quote from uh, Dr. Tom Waller, who we interviewed for the podcast. He used to be um, SVP of innovation. I think sorry, he was the chief science officer at Lululemon. Now he's uh, the senior vice president of innovation at Adidas, Adidas, depending on where mm-hmm. you are in the world. Um, 
And he said, basically, when they assess a new piece of technology, is it just another set of bathroom scales? Is it just another set of digital bathroom scales? Is it something that I stand on it and it just gives me information, doesn't give me context, doesn't give me recommendations, Mm. doesn't help me improve? Is that what that is? And I think there's a rush in the performance space um, with people getting very excited about everything that's happening and how you can track and and that becoming more common, that devices are just more devices, more things, more measurements, Mm. don't actually translate to improvement. Um, So that's where something like Whoop has had a lot of success with the Whoop score. I mean, that's a very basic way of, it does track all this stuff and then it tells you recommendations based off that. Yeah. Um, so I think that... It's a bit the uh, the contextualization and a bit understanding. I mean, the contextualization and understanding more of the data to give you like better insights or better information that matters. Okay, yeah, understand and also the, the analysis engine on the back end. So um, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, powered things, mm-hmm. whether how much that is AI and how much that is... Um, just some more basic analysis um, varies from company to company, but the idea that you can actually input all this information and then the processing muscle behind it will actually show you this is what you need to know. And then the other layer of that is this is what you need to know at that point in time. So that's something Mm -hmm. that's in human performance space is actually going, this is contextual information, this is drawn from huge amount of data sources put together in a way that a human can understand um, and given to them when they need it rather than yeah, okay. you know, when it when it doesn't make sense. So that's that's big. I think that industry is, is not going to slow down. All of the, the big tech have gone into it. Amazon Halo, um, Google's active in it, Apple. Obviously, Whoop is a kind of a challenger, yeah. um, you know, $3.6 billion valuation, but they're still very much considered a challenger in the space compared to big tech. Um, so that's something to watch to the point that uh, it'll become much more ubiquitous. It'll become much more common to for all of us to just be tracking our health um, and then getting insights from that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then we come to the, uh, I would say, not very mature and very low maturity market of fitness wellness where there is high potential for growth in the in the coming years uh i'm sorry thomas uh, i didn't watch the time but i think uh we we, we we've reached the uh the time for, for this podcast but before before we stop just for our listeners uh i like to ask at the end a bit like if you can recommend like maybe a book a series a movie that that you've read or watched recently or that something long time still with you, uh, any kind of like inspiration for, for our listeners? Uh, I mean, there's probably countless business and, and tech books I can, and series and stuff I can recommend. I'm actually going to bit of a sideways jump on this one and say lots of sports narrative, um, documentaries which is we're in a real golden age of it original sports content i mean something like drive to survive um making their mark was the amazon one about afl football the test is about the australian cricket team um thinking of other ones i mean tom brady's one man in the arena is is on at the moment that's a, a little bit sanitized look at 
him and everything that's happened. But still, I think things like that because it reminds you of, you know, this is sports and the, the kind of the passion and the all the stuff we started talking about at the beginning. It's, it's a it's maybe a little bit of an antidote to um to the view of just this is an industry, if that makes sense. It kind of brings yeah, that yeah. to well, what is the excitement of sports? How is this looking? And just realize it's people. It's just at the end of the day, it's just people that for all their their um their frailties and 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 strengths, um both you know, physical and, and mental, sometimes moral, if you want to say that. But it's just a reminder yeah. of, of what this is and, and I guess why people are so excited about it, passionate, passionate about it, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're that and then, um, yeah. So I would say that just as a bit of a, a brain rinse, a little, you know, a little refresher. That's that's fine with me and don't worry. If, if you have any other suggestions, just, send an email or and, and we will add it to to the description of the podcast for yeah. for Sorry, the listeners sports, if you have other ideas sports tech feed the global sports technology podcast yeah there you go of course of, of course. course of course terrible of course. terrible self-promotion <laughs> terrible influencer amazing one no no that's perfect thank you thomas for the time and sharing the insights that was a pleasure and uh, all the best to you in texas where i should be coming soon i guess Definitely, mate. We'll go get some. Uh, we'll go get some barbecue and breakfast tacos. <laughs> Cheers, man. Thanks, Jamie. See you. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoy it as much as we love creating them. If you like the episode, feel free to comment, rate, and share with people around you. You can visit our website www.lastsource.io to learn more about our activities. You will discover a wide range of articles and can subscribe to our newsletter to receive the latest tech and sports news in your mailbox every month. Stay tuned for new episodes. Le Corner.